0: got to the end of September and I just looked at Chris and was like I am a pickle I could feel it in my skin I could feel it in my energy I could feel it in my emotions I just said I'm done I said I just need a break I didn't realize how much me making a decision that was very different to so many of my friends family colleagues just our generation people around me me making a decision to be different really altered other people's opinions of me and my decision when I stopped drinking Everybody wants to tell you what they think about you not drinking.
1: Who wants to be an entrepreneur? This isn't a quiz show. This is reality. A real life discovery of what it really takes to be an entrepreneur. Welcome to a new season of podcast episodes of personal and business coaching topics and techniques around the three pillars of HEW, health, excellence and wealth. HEW is introducing guests to the Who Wants to Be an Entrepreneur show based on their own personal experiences, a full real-life account of trials and tribulations of what it takes.
2: Hello and welcome to episode 83 uh, of the Who Wants to Be an Entrepreneur podcast. You are here joined by myself, Helen Williams, and Lauren Brady. Thank you for joining us today. We are talking all about alcohol or actually, should I say, no alcohol, zero, nada, nothing and what came about here is the fact of I have been pushing Lauren to speak about this uh, subject for quite some time actually Uh, because when Lauren was working with me I knew that you she was part of what she was doing and in terms of one year no be I'm going to get her to explain a lot more behind all of that but that has continued on and Lauren is now over 1,000 days without alcohol you know that's not just a couple of weeks giving it up that's not a dry January that's not a stocktober or whatever else you know that's out in the marketplace right now that is almost three years of having no alcohol in her system I always say I'm a little bit gutted that I never got to meet the the, the Lauren which was a fun time Charlie Lauren and uh, you know she knew where all the cheap Jager bombs were and all the shots were in Manchester and any other cities that she's been privy to in the UK and across Europe as well uh, so, yeah, I'm pretty gutted, but all I will say is it's probably a good thing as well, because the two of us together, with um, infused with alcohol and all the craziness that we do bring to the table any other time, would be quite a destructive mixture, I am sure. So, Lauren, um, welcome, and um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what, what all this was about? You know, why
0: would you want to give up um, alcohol? Hello, hello. So yeah, it's um, it's a conversation you've just, and thanks for the lovely intro on it. The conversation, having it publicly is an interesting one. And I've said on a couple of my first podcasts that I did on our show that I would talk about it at some point. And it's not that I don't want to talk about it, but I'm also hyper aware that I don't want it to, um, I don't want my decision or my conversation about it, you know, to make somebody else feel good, bad or indifferent about them decision and because I am very passionate about it what happened was so for me I've got to say it was the big change that I made uh, almost three years ago that changed everything and I've got to say this publicly I wasn't someone who you know people said out loud Lauren you know you should possibly look at, you know, having a few less beers. You know, I know you joked in the intro there, what would it have been like if we'd have all been in party mode? And, um, you know, alcohol wasn't causing huge issues in my life. And, um, you know, I was in my early thirties. I'd met my now husband. We were having a great time. We were traveling. We were, you know, we lived in the city centre of Manchester. We had this beautiful apartment overlooking the water. Uh, we both worked you know, in a really great part of the city, Um, you know, we could go out for dinner any night of the week, didn't need to be a weekend, we had lots of friends who also had a similar lifestyle, so, you know, whether it be meeting for dinner and a bottle of wine, whether it meeting for, you know, a gin and tonic, uh, whether it be, you know, I was someone who loved what I always call, and a lot of Irish people know this, a Sunday session, you know, you meet for a roast, you have a bottle of red wine, before you know it, you're in a pub, some live music, you know all the shows go on after that, you know, Jager bombs come out and before you know it, it's 1am Monday morning and you're wondering why you don't have your biggest uh, amount of energy and clarity for your Monday attack. But I was having a great time. So the one thing for me is that alcohol was very culturally around me um, in every sense. So, you know, my parents had and, and still do have a a very normal you know relationship with alcohol and um, you know it's funny I've had so many conversations now particularly with my dad from watching me stop drinking my dad stopped drinking just purely from the fact that he watched me and he's like oh so I don't need to have a bottle of red wine I'm like no that was a fallacy as well Breffney. that one's has gone got out the window but like my parents you know we've had really interesting conversations about it because when, when I was a kid I was born in the 80s drinking at home wasn't really a thing alcohol wasn't as affordable it wasn't accessible. You know, I remember the Sainsbury's that we did our weekly shopping in the village. You know, the wine section was tiny and my mum used to love, um, you know, this is what I'm saying, we weren't wine connoisseurs growing up in our house. She loved hock, <laughs> you know, the white wine. And it's like, oh my God, it's like dishwater. But, you know, that would have been what my mum would have put in the trolley, maybe once a month, twice a month. Uh, my parents weren't pub goers. So it wasn't something like, you know, they went to the pub every weekend. And My family, you know, everyone knows are Irish. So we're very much around uh, dancing Music, lots of cultural stuff. So we'd go to things like, you know, the dinner dances, the Kayleys, you know, the social activities through the community and through, you know, our parish church and stuff. So there was always alcohol around. I'm not trying to make out like I grew up in an environment where there wasn't, but alcohol wasn't the centre of a lot of things then fast forward to my teenage years I did start drinking I think like most people do in the UK and Ireland at like 13 14 you know I remember being given an alcohol pop I was in Donegal I was at my nana and granddad's um uh birthday They'd, my, my nana my mum's mum and dad were born on the same day how funny is that so there was a big birthday. We were all over there and I think I was maybe 14 15 I mean I'm probably I was probably 14 and I remember being given an alcohol pop and thinking you know is you one of the cool kids and you're up there and that was just kind of how life went on from there so I was the youngest of th- I am the youngest of three kids so I think by the time you get to the youngest as well your parents are a bit more liberal you know my older sisters had already started socializing and having the odd drink <laughs> my the middle sister Carrie everything that you were meant to not do and get caught doing she did it drinking smoking <laughs> all of that stuff so I think because when I Came along they were quite relaxed for me because they were like we just want to know what you're doing so but I wasn't a child or a teenager that was like you know, out of control drinking, that just wasn't it. Went to university, you know, one pound, what you call them, like spirits, you know, the WKDs, all that stuff. And we were in that era, same as you, Helen, you know, in the early 2000s, where alcohol pops and everything were wild. You know, that was where, you know, I, I was a Smyrna ice drinker in that day. And I think about it now, I know your face, you're like, oh, it's just rank, that stuff. And then I started work. So I went into being an entrepreneur very young, you know, 1920, and then started running a business. So I suppose then my social life changed a bit because I did have a lot of responsibility. I did work very long hours. You know, I was in my office at eight, half eight every morning. I didn't leave the office often till 10, 11 o'clock each night. But when I did leave the office, I did take my team and the sales team would often just go for a beer at the end of the day. So... Then it became part of my culture within my professional life, whether it was in a sales environment, when you're building a company, you know, we were all sort of in our twenties and thirties. We were making great money. There was a lot of disposable income. So it was nice restaurants. It was, you know, great bars. It was all of the stuff that went with it. But it then came towards the end of my twenties and I was working away a lot. So I traveled between Holland and Belgium and a little bit of France and I lived in hotels. Now. I was never the person who would be, when you're in a hotel, would have a glass of wine with my meal on my own. And I'm dead, dead aware, as I don't mind saying it, I was the person who, when you were drinking, I was drinking in company, and it was then it would escalate quickly, whether it be sharing a bottle of wine, sharing a bottle of Prosecco, onto spirits, onto shots, into the club till 4, 5 a.m. So it was very normal around me. Um, you know, it wasn't causing problems or anything. But then when it came to my 30th birthday, I was back in England at this stage, and I started to really focus on my health. I'd, um, from traveling and being abroad and living in hotels, um, I'd gained like two and a bit stone. Now, I'm only five foot four and a bit. So when you put two stone on my frame, you know, it blows, <laughs> it blows you up. And um, so I realized at that point, you know, I was drinking like, you know, pints of Magnus. And uh, what else was I drinking? I'd be drinking like, you know, Corona beer. Then I'd be on the gin. And I mean, to be honest, it was just all the stuff that, you know, And I think about it now, I think, Christ, no wonder, you know, I inflated like a little fat balloon. (laughs) And then, of course, on the back of when you're drinking and socializing a lot, you don't make good food choices. You don't make good health choices with your exercise. So that was probably the kickstart. But then it was like a couple of years later, I'd met my now husband. Like I say, we were having a great time. What it was for me, Helen, is I despised being hungover. I mean, I know nobody enjoys it, but I mean, I was like the world's worst hungover person there's a couple of instances that spring to mind we were at this beautiful um, event in Galway in Ireland it was actually my old boss and very good friend and mentor his child's christening and with, there was a load of us there who were good friends and colleagues for years great session I mean great crack and the next day we had to drive from Galway I wasn't the driver thankfully we had to drive from Galway back to Dublin to get the flight and I remember me and a couple of the lads having our heads out the windows. And I'm like, I mean, honestly, if, if, if I could just die now, it would probably be easier than this hangover. And there was a couple of those memories where I was just like, the crack was great, but the hangover was horrendous. And then it got to the point where even if I was having a couple of gins here or there, or, you know, what is seen as socially acceptable, you know, sharing a bottle of wine over dinner, Chris would wake up the next day and he'd be fine. I'd wake up the next day lethargic, no energy, Foggy, which would make me snappy, and it would just make me a little bit of a a ratty cow, if I'm honest. So, hangovers with the thing. But then, the summer of what we are now, 2020, it was the summer of 2017. I was having a hoop, like I was having a ball. Things were going well in every aspect of my life personal, uh, work. And it was that summer that I think I've tried to count the other week. I think I had three weddings, three hen parties. And then one other weekend, I think I counted, it, it might have been eight or nine weekends out of 12 where I had a big event on, you know, whether it be like something that I was away with or within my own city, but you know, when you've got those big events and you basically, it's quite a drink fest. And I got to the end of September and I just looked at Chris and was like, I am a pickle. I could feel it in my skin. I could feel it in my energy. I could feel it in my emotions. I just said, I'm done. I said, I just need a break. And then, you know, Facebook listens to everything, obviously. And this advert came up for One Year No Beer, Take a 28-Day Challenge. And someone who I followed on social media, an amazing woman called Sally Wilkinson, who runs fitness retreats in the Northwest, she was doing One Year No Beer with her husband. And she was really documenting it well on social media, highs, lows, everything in between. So I was following Sally's journey. Uh, And I was really bought into Sally. Like, she's just an amazing woman as a whole. And uh, then I had this hangover, come one day, you know, like you do. I think so many people decide to stop drinking on a bloody Monday. And uh, I signed up. Decided I'd only do 28 days. But then I completed the 28 days. I remember, I think I started on like the 25th of September. My birthday is the 14th of October. So I knew I was going to be not drinking on my own birthday. We had a summit in Ibiza with our business program so I was going to Ibiza to a massive thing with all my work colleagues and like I mentioned before we loved to work hard and play hard but I also remember being in Ibiza stood next to you know the CEO and them offering me a glass of champagne and me being like no I'm good thanks and of a woman at a certain age as soon as you say no to a drink and I remember we just locked ties and the first thing I had to say was I'm not pregnant (laughs) So that became a consistent thing in this journey is people asking me if I was pregnant, if I was trying to get pregnant, if I was having IVF. It was one of the things I said. I've never been asked so much about a baby. I wasn't planning in that first 12 months. So yeah, I was only going to do 28 days. Just kept going. Felt great. Didn't find it as challenging as I thought I might. And um, The first couple of events and different things, you know, they, they were tricky because you're just so used to it. But came back from Ibiza and everyone was like, so you went to Ibiza? It's over. I've actually been to Ibiza three times in the last three years. Uh, the last time I went was for four days for a mate's birthday. Full day in Ocean Beach Club, did the whole market and had the best time. I mean I think I had more fun than anybody else in the beach club that day and I was the one who woke up at least two three hundred euros more in my pocket <laughs> and uh, with a clearer head. So yeah and um, got to the end of 60 days and I actually planned to have a drink. It was uh, one of our mutual very good friends birthdays in November we were going for a Sunday session. Again, Loved the girls. We loved the Sunday session. We went for a really lovely lunch. And I remember having a glass of red wine, then I had a couple of gins. And I remember thinking, oh, it's not that exciting. But we went to Bali then a couple of days later. And what I didn't want to do is tell myself I had this holiday planned with Chris. And I didn't want to say I'm not drinking in Bali. I didn't want to put that restriction on myself. But I also didn't actually want to drink that much. You know, after that long, not drinking, I kind of was like, I'm kind of enjoying never feeling this hungoverness. So I went to Bali and had a couple of drinks. But I mean, like I had a glass of champagne in a beautiful restaurant. I had a cocktail. Oh, do you know, there was one night we had cocktails. You know, when you're in one of those lovely restaurants, sorry, a lovely bar and have a minimum spend. And Chris is like, can you have a cocktail? Because if I have to hit this minimum spend on my own, you are carrying me out of here. And I had two cocktails. Well, you know, and they're like 90% alcohol. Sweet Jesus, the hangover after that. But I'm kind of glad after the 60 days, I took a couple of weeks and had like, I, honestly, out of those two, three weeks, I had a drink on maybe four occasions. Then I, then I had a weekend in December, that was it. Came back from Bali and was out Friday night, Saturday and a Sunday session. And I woke up on the Monday morning. And honestly, I thought I needed a drip. I thought I needed uh, a quick entry into a and And I thought, this is it, this is game over. It's like that, that day driving up to Dublin again. And I woke up that day and I said to Chris, I'm glad I've actually took the break from the challenge and done it because it's reminded me what I dislike. This is the thing. I dislike the after effects of alcohol. I'm like everyone else. I think it's hilarious on the way up. I think, you know, when, you know, the bubbles are popping and when times are good and, you know, there's no negative emotion, I'm all in. But the crash for me, it just wasn't worth it. So it was December. How can I not remember this date now? Is it December the 11th? something i should remember that shouldn't I? it's quite a prolific date but it was in december 2017 and now we're almost a thousand days later
2: it's fantastic like you know all of what you've said i can totally totally resonate with and relate because i anybody who knows me i mean we've never been in that situation where Yes, we've been in a couple of social situations, but we've never been ones that have drunk together. Yeah. But anybody who knows me as well knows that I suffer hangovers massively. Like, I am I am that good time, Charlie. I'm all for it. Like, you know, let's have a party, let's have fun, and I'll be the last off the dance floor, the last home at night, or the next morning. I mean, the last time I went out-out, I was getting in at the time that my alarm was going off for the gym. So that's me, if, like, like you said, you know, if you're in, you're in. Like, don't do anything half assed But then the next day and the implications is just huge, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Um,
2: but I just want to ask you there, you, 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 you picked up on something there about at the bar and being offered a glass of champagne and the assumptions then about, particularly for women, is um, are you pregnant and all yeah. the personal questions that you get. What else has then been kind of um, an external judgment opinion things that you had to deal with from an external perspective
0: oh. other people so i'll try and keep this one brief because i think it's the one that i could talk about for long a really long time and listen if anyone's listening to this and they really do want to know the ins and outs of this i've wrote two blog posts um one of them very heavily influenced and bullied by you back in the day if you remember helen it's another story from the other day i didn't want to share it on social media and helen as my coach bullied me into doing so and i'm very grateful for. <laughs> record straight. There. Just to the straight
2: there, I didn't bully. Um, I just. You did. Shut up! You totally did.
0: Let's be mindful of language here, as coaches. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I think when it comes to okay, so when I when I try and describe to people what stopping drinking alcohol has done for me, the best response I can I can kind of articulate in the shortest version is, you know, when you make one habit change or one cornerstone of your life and you alter it but you don't realize at the time that it's a cornerstone you don't realize how big an impact it's going to have because like I say genuinely I mean like if there's anyone out there who could call me different call me up on this differently it wasn't an issue I just wasn't happy with the consequences of it going forward I didn't realize how much me making a decision that was very different to so many of my friends family colleagues, just our generation, people around me, me making a decision to be different really altered other people's opinions of me and my decision. So I've never been someone who's overly concerned about other people's opinions of me. I mean, I'm human like everyone. And, you know, as I've unpacked it, I've realized i probably cared more at times in my life and career than maybe I should have. But when I stopped drinking, everybody wants to tell you what they think about you not drinking so again it's funny it's like you know the question i got asked a lot is are you pregnant it's like you know i've been told this a lot by friends you know as soon as you tell someone you're having a child or you know you tell someone you're buying a house or you tell someone you're getting married everyone's got an opinion and everyone wants to tell you their experience as soon as you tell people you're no longer drinking alcohol i mean helen out of the out of the bag everyone's like but why have you got a problem? Have you got an issue? You know, you know, have you been asleep on a park bench? Have you lost your job? Have you got a DUI? Have you, you know, and that's the first thing. It's quite evident that most people go on that questioning. The second thing is they then tell you, Oh, I don't drink that much. I'm like, I cannot tell you. It's like 90% of the time. That's what people's responses. And I'm in my head. I'm going, I never said you did. And I also never asked. So people immediately tell you and put their stance in a lot of the time. And again, maybe that's just because I I deal with a lot of very confident, forward-talking people in my life. So I'm not saying that as a judgment to them, but it does happen a lot. Some people are like, you know, oh, well, we can't wait for you to get back on it. You know, we can't wait for you to, you know, when's this thing done? And, you know, I'm very lucky that the people who are close to me, you know, my now husband, you know, a couple of my very close friends, one of them who's also related to me, she's my first cousin and my best friend. And, you know, they were always like, Lauren, we don't actually care whether you drink or not because you're not actually that much different. So did I get a lot of external questioning and opinions? Yes. I don't think if you make any big changes in your life, you're not going to get that. But I think that's why when I did this with the community, One Year No Beer, and it was the complete opposite of Dry January. It's the complete opposite of Sober October because, in my opinion, those things are, are, are good, but they can be very damaging because it's the idea of white-knuckling something for 28 days or 30 or 31 days, what, for a month, and you're going, I'm just going to get through it, as opposed to looking at it and going, here's an opportunity. What can I take from it? What can I learn? You know, what positives have I got from it? It's the same kind of concept is i don't know if you've ever heard of this helen you know when people train for a marathon or a triathlon or a big event any kind of physical big sporting event and then once the event's completed or once it's done they actually turn into it turns into a negative downward spiral out of it um i can't think of the correct terminology i'll google it for some point in the future but i think it's called like peak effect where you're running up to a goal or an event or something, then on the way out of it, you know, people come out of marathons, triathlons, and often can fall into injury. You know, they don't train at all. Some people do suffer with depression on the back of them. So the same for me is when it comes to things like sober October and dry January, there's a danger with those numbers, those dated challenges, because you're basically white knuckling for a short period of time, then you come out of it and go wild. For me, um, you know, the one-year no-beer community, signing up for 365 days was great because I didn't just stop drinking. I really educated myself. I changed my perspective on alcohol. I changed my relationship with it. And to be honest, Helen, it did change my relationship then with certain activities and certain things that I did in my social life because I just didn't look at them the same. So one of of the things that people, I get asked a lot is to go, but, you know, what do you do for fun now? And it's the thing that I'm like, I have to take a deep breath because it's a very good question, right? Like, here's the thing. I don't just go on walks in the country and go to the gym for fun. I still do lots of other things for fun. But when I stopped drinking, I realized how much of your social life revolves around drinking. And to be honest, how monotonous and how repetitive it gets. So one of the things, like I say, for me, when I took alcohol out, I slept better. I had more energy. I trained more. Interestingly, I'd lost um, not a huge amount of weight, but because I was only small anyway, when I lose, you know, a couple of kg, um, it's, it's quite noticeable. I'd lost weight for that barley holiday, but then I stayed the most consistent I've ever been with my training, with my food. Um, the interesting one with calories in in, in alcohol, um, you know you know me, Helen, I love food. I love really good food. I love all sorts of different things. I'm a savory person. I'm a sweet person. I like bread. I like, You know, and people used to say to me, you know, you can put away a good bit, you for a small bird. And I'm like, yeah, I can. But the reason being is I don't consume two, three, four, five thousand 5,000 calories a weekend on alcohol. So there was all these, these positives that came from it. But I think the big thing is that when you take, went for me, when I took out the fog of the hangover and I took out living up to someone else's expectation of socialising or someone else's expectations of what, you know, should be done in a normal circumstance, I could just hear my own inner dialogue so much more clearly and not always in a positive. Sometimes I could hear my critic much more loudly because there was no one numbing it out. I could hear my doubts, my fears, But what it did then is because I wasn't constantly on the back foot emotionally or drained or in any kind of negative cycle that I would literally put into my own body as you know, in terms of what alcohol is, because I didn't have any of that to ever overcome, overcoming other things was actually much easier to do. Not easy as a whole, but easier to do because there was no other obstacles in the way.
2: So I want to ask you a question here from the other side of the fence because you've just identified, you know, like so many different um, positives and benefits from um, sleeping better to, you know, your consistency, your discipline, your perspective, yeah. your clarity in your mind. Um, you know, there's so so much, even financial. Um, oh, yeah. I've not even talked about the finances yet. Yeah. And you know, I know from when we worked together. Um, that you were rewarding yourself in a different way from the money that you saved from what you would ordinarily spend on wine and alcohol and nights out and things. Um, because you could still go out on the night out, but obviously having some waters and maybe a, a go crazy with a Diet Coke in there is like you know you could spend a tenner in comparison to 150 quid yeah. so you know, that that amount of of budget and capital soon adds up so I know that you were rewarding yourself and rightly so Um. so that's all the benefits right but I want to come at it from the from the opposite side of the fence now so to the people around you who you know do still drink and still partake in in going out and Having alcohol, whether they get drunk or it's just kind of you know a glass or two with the the um the meals and and whatnot, how would you say where your judgments lie now on other people's behavior because what what happens here, Laurie, what happens here is when people change and when they cha- when they do something different it's like if somebody stops smoking, then their opinions over smoking end up being even more heightened than what they would be you know beforehand and it, it can come across quite hypocritical it can come across quite um you
0: know holier than thou, and all of that well i had all of that don't worry i got all of those things said to me and thrown at me <laughs> imagine i can imagine you did but i'm obviously playing a bit
2: of devil's advocate yeah, yeah. Yeah. really good question helen really good so, you know what are your
0: opinions now on other people their behaviors and what they're doing it's a really good question, and it's certainly one um, that I, I'm really happy to answer publicly, actually. I have no issue with anybody drinking alcohol. I really don't. I'm not some kind of crazy, mad prohibitionist who's going around, uh, you know, knocking drinks out of people's hands in anger or protesting. But I can't lie, Helen. It has changed because I can't unknow what I know. Okay, so I don't want to go too conspiracy theories here. But it kind of is a little bit, right? Because the world, societies, when people are very clear in their thought and their choices, it doesn't always work well for everybody, you know? It's as far as I'll go down that conspiracy line theory. So when there's a certain level of, you know, people are controlled or in the norm and they're rolling with all the waves and that's, you know, normal life and everyone should do it, um, you know, that means, you know, society works quite well um, for some people. The thing is when you learn something or you understand something and you do get a bit excited about it and you're like, how did I not know this before? So there's a bit of me that's been a bit pissed off at times because I'm like, how was I led to believe that drinking that many units of alcohol was okay? How was I led to believe that as a young adult and as a young woman that, you know, down in Jager bombs and, you know, drinking until 5am was cool and funny? Um, cuz here's the thing Helen it was funny but for a very short window and then it was a case of it was taking away more for me than it was given so like you know now you know we, it's funny smoking now you know it's very it's much rarer than it's ever been and if we saw someone start smoking now at 16 17 18 i know i would anyway i'd be like what are you doing man stop it but do you know back in the day they used to tell people it was healthy to smoke. Like it was actually good for you. There was herbal ingredients in, in, in cigarettes. And, you know, and how was it marketed? And it made you cool. It made you sexy. It made you funny. The reality is there's nothing healthy about smoking. It now costs a fortune and you stink. Like that's the only way we can look at it. Alcohol has been marketed to us so cleverly so fucking cleverly for years and years and years you know it makes you fit in it makes you social it makes you funny and you know what this is what i'm saying i'm not anti-alcohol a little bit of alcohol often does enhance situations for certain people the problem is alcohol is a drug and it is an addictive substance that one is never enough and 10 you know what's that saying one's never enough and 10 is too much or whatever it's something like that but it's a way like you know when you have salty peanuts and they make you thirsty but you keep eating the peanuts because the salt's making you want to go back in. Alcohol has the very same effect on us. So the thing that I get quite animated and quite pissed off about is when people think people who take alcohol too far or have a dependency or, you know, develop an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, people, there's a stigma in society where people think it's because they're weak. No, 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 It's because they're, in t- they're taking in a substance that's designed to be addictive. So why is anyone surprised when we are addicted to it like it's it's you know it's, it's, like, it's like salty peanuts why is it why are we surprised when we keep eating them and when we're thirsty at the end of it So in terms of how I feel about alcohol, I do look at it now and think, I cannot believe how much bad information is available in the media. And I've got to say, you know, there's a huge curve coming of people not drinking, especially females, especially people who are much younger than I was before I decided to take a break from alcohol. And I love the fact that now, you know, looking at the science behind it, you know, the information that is available about what alcohol actually does to our bodies. But, you know, that's clickbait, Helen. That shit doesn't stay up on the top of the uh, social media feed or on top of the blog post for very long because the advertising and the money that's pumped into alcohol revenue and alcohol advertising pushes that down. Like, you know, that thing where people are like, oh, it's healthy to have a glass of red wine. You know, the World Health Organization have come out for years now and said, that's just simply not true. That's like when people said smoking was healthy and it was good for you. It's simply not true that red wine is good for you. There's an ingredient in the grape of the red wine, but the alcohol that's also in the, in the red wine completely counteracts any goodness that comes from that part of the substance within the grape. But that is never told in the media. And that's the thing that's never on the Daily Mail or in you know, um, a female magazines or whatever it may be. So how do I feel about people drinking? I've no issues with people drinking. I tell you where my tolerance is quite low when people start to behave poorly and behave badly. And it's just a decision I've made, especially in the last few years. You know, I got married last year. You know, I got a lot of questions. Are you going to drink on your hen? Are you even going to, I got asked, are you even going to bother having a hen do? Someone said that to me. You know, people said to me, are you going to drink on your wedding day? I'm like, let me put this into perspective that's a day that's cost me and my husband more money than any other day in our lives. We've got all the people we love there. It's the most important day for us as commitment as a couple. And you want me to numb my senses and you want me to take in something that I've not taken in two and a half years and see how it goes. And when I said it black that, like, yeah, that's a really good point. It's the one day you actually really want to remember and you want to feel everything. So no, I'm not going to be drinking on my wedding day and I wasn't waking up with a hangover and you know, any of the stuff that went with it. So I suppose the short answer, Helen, is I've no issue with people drinking, but whether they are drinking or not drinking, I do have an issue with people with bad behavior. And, you know, as I say, there's some things that you just can't unsee. You know, I see some people who are incredible people. I mean, I love them as friends, as family members. They're intelligent, they're articulate, they're funny. But when you see that person slobbering into themselves at 2, 3 (laughs) a.m., you're kind of like, oh, mate, I love you, but we need to put you in an Uber. Um, Because, you know, sometimes... Again, it's very easy. Social media, no one, everyone posts the picture when the Prosecco um, cork is popping. Everyone posts these pictures of bloody gin glasses with juniper berries and raspberries and all this other shit in there. Nobody posts the picture of them being sick out of the taxi. No one posts the picture of them having the argument with their partner. No one posts the picture of the fact that they've just gone 300 quid into their overdraft because of that round of Yeager bombs. All the other stuff that goes with it, the low energy, the McDonald's, the feeling crap about themselves. So, you know, listen, it's, it's something for me that, do I feel glad I've done it? Yes. Has it been difficult? Not for the reasons you'd think. The difficult bit for me is that there's only been one or two other points in my life where I've chosen to make myself different from almost everybody else. The first one was when I decided to leave university and pursue my career as an entrepreneur when I was 2021. 20, that was the first time I made myself different out of choice to pretty much everyone else in my life. But I had people around me there. I had mentors. I had backers. I had you know, the team of people I was building within my business. So I, I didn't feel as alone. And I was also mad into it. So I was like, I don't care. I'm different to everyone else. I'm going for it. This was probably the second big thing where I purposely, and was, as a decision, made myself different to everyone else in my life. That is difficult. And that's why for people listening to this, if you're an entrepreneur, all I can say is if you are suffering the effects of low energy, poor sleep, lack of clarity... I just can't tell you how much of that comes back when you don't realize that when alcohol is in your system, like literally Helen, there's very few people who I know who only have one or two drinks. Very few. My mother-in-law is one of them. She's French, grew up in Paris. She's pretty much the only person I know who genuinely, you know, I've had Christmas days with her. She has two glasses of champagne. I've never seen someone sip champagne so slowly in all my life, but pretty much everyone else I know, they don't drink like that. We're not brought up in a culture where, you know, we sip champagne (laughs) in an eloquent manner. If anyone here has had the effects of, you know, how long alcohol stays in our system, how it disrupts our sleep, how it disrupts our clarity. And you're building a business. All I can say to you is don't just do a dry January. Don't do a sober October. Don't white knuckle it. obviously just not drinking has its positives but the biggest thing I did is I actually I researched it like a motherfucker Helen you know I attacked not drinking like a degree because the more you know when you kind of uncover other layers and you read another book or listen to another podcast or you know I understood more about alcohol and its whole positioning and the effects and everything that went with it it was honestly it was just I just couldn't stop consuming the information about it because I just found it fascinating and that definitely fed into everything else in terms of my self-confidence my self-worth my energy and how I felt about you know taking risks taking chances Um, and you know I have it now you know I'm, I'm speaking with a couple of clients at the moment and they say you know I have a few beers and I notice I'm off for days and I'm like you know you have this as well Helen how many clients do we say you've got to understand that if you want to build anything a business, a relationship, a life, you've just got to be clear on what's holding you back and what isn't. And for me, alcohol was taking way more than it was given. So it was difficult to put myself in the place where I was, like I say, put myself on the other side of the room. It changed my identity a lot. I had to really r- rumble with my new identity. Uh, I had to really you know, take responsibility for choices I'd made in the past and then just thought, Christ, Lauren, would you have made that choice again you know with a clear head with clear thinking with you know all of the different things that were affected so yeah wouldn't go back and change it can't see it changing for me for the future i mean
2: lauren but it, it's so so insightful and you know there's there's so much more and i think you know we could we should do a couple more uh, episodes on this um in yeah, terms of you know Um, and covering it off even even you know the financial discipline around things and the financial rewards and uh, the challenges and things that you've overcome and you know what you what you see for yourself in terms of what that clarity does i think you know it's, it's proven really really valuable really insightful um, and very inspirational as well it's not you know it's not the fact that you're ramming it down people's throats and um, quite the contrary you know you you're quite reserved about it and you're quite this is what where, where the, the bullying comes from in terms of you know yeah. talk about it put put a blog post together let people know what you're doing yeah. and you know be that that voice of of change and of difference because what you said about you know, taking monumental decisions in your life is, is massive for going against the grain. And going against the grain is, um, is a habit and it's something as an entrepreneur and a business owner that you have to get used to
0: doing. Yeah.
2: So it's a mindset shift that if you can do that, you've already got that blueprint now with anything. Nothing really fears you or you know um, stops you from doing anything because you know how difficult this has been for different things and easy as well. It's a little, it's a bit of a bittersweet um, combo between the difficulty of it and the ease of it. Um, but you now can you feel that you can you can attack anything because this has been a massive mountain that you've climbed with it. Yeah. Um, so definitely you need to, you know, go into this in, in more detail in some future episodes. Just a couple of points there where you've just said a uh, short answer. Don't think you can ever give a short answer. And... <laughs> I I would dread to think right because I never knew you back then but I would dread to think what you would be like with a drink inside you because you know
0: I mean the talking Helen was just incessant I mean that's the thing
2: people do not shut up when they've had a drink like you would have to gag you I'm sure of the fact that like literally it is just like right Warren. okay let's curb it there and another thing I'm sure you've I'm sure um there's not just me thinking about wanting salty peanuts right now (laughs) <laughs> but i can't help but think i can't help but think that salty peanuts have to be there washed out with a cold beer because you yeah. associate salty peanuts with christmas
0: yeah and, and being in pubs so do uh, you know what helen it's, it's another episode because I, 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 we're conscious of time on this one the, here's the thing right it's, it's, it's a conversation about habits and associations and triggers yeah. in the same way that you know For example, you make a cup of tea, habit, trigger, biscuit. You know, you go to a bar. I'm so lucky. I've got such amazing female friends. And I say I'm lucky. I've worked really hard at them over the last 10, 15 years. And I've cultivated an awesome group of women that I'm so proud of and I adore. But so much of our socializing was around, you know, cork popping. Uh, You know, one of my friends um, is a Kiwi. Uh, You know, me, her and a Sauvignon Blanc were legendary when i hear a prosecco cork pop now or a champagne cork pop i still do this Woo! like it's still it's in my head and it will never change and you know sunny day oh i'd love a bottle of corona with a bit of lime in it i'm happy i'll have a beer i'm sad i'll have a beer you know someone's died you know we lost someone very important to our family 10 years ago and uh, i remember it wasn't like say alcohol becoming an issue but i remember the day of his funeral I could have drank a vat of gin and it wouldn't have made me drunk, but the numbing effect it had, you know, was, was huge. Yeah. But the one thing I'll say with, the, with this, Helen is you have to do with anything. Again, you have to realign what you perceive as a habit, what is a trigger and what is a reward. And again, that's I think maybe another conversation about alcohol, because this is the only thing I want to just, I kind of want to fuck with people a little bit. How can alcohol make you happy and sad? You know, people say this a lot. They go, but it makes you happy. I go, but hold on a minute. If we were looking at this as a scientific experiment, every time you drink, are you happy? And well, the answer is you know, no. You can change from going out happy or you think that
2: you're happy, but subconsciously then if you're, if there's something that's underlying or that's, um, you know, your hormones are all over or you've had something yeah. that's bubbling away, stress um, is, is there. And, you know, you're dealing with other things um, that you've compartmentalized, but you've gone out you can go to a certain degree um drink be happy even be dancing
0: in the club and then you go like that, hit the wall, and then the tears are yeah. flying down. And, and that's just to good. keep it even simpler, just if you were looking at it, if you were trying to explain this to an alien who just landed on Earth, and you go, "Drinking makes me happy," and they go, "Okay, so does that mean every time you drink, you're happy?" And you could be like, "Well, yes, no." The answer we all know is no, because you know, why do we drink when we've had a bad day? Why do we drink when we've lost something? When we've had a relationship breakup, etc. Yeah. And then you go, "Okay, so if if, if we're, we're using this synopsis that drinking makes me happy, that should mean the more I drink, the happier I get. Is that true?" No, mm-hmm. wow. and not the case so for me like I say it wasn't that I became this encyclopedia of let me tell you how bad alcohol is for you but once I dipped and really dived into it and I didn't just read one book and one person's perspective I read contradicting theories I read lots of papers and you know I went on courses I did seminars you know again for me it was a case of if I'm going to make a decision that's this different from everything else in my life I want to really understand it and like I say that's the only thing sometimes like you know I've got nephews and a niece and you know they're only little killian's coming up 10 but i'm like in four or five years would i be happy with someone handing my firstborn nephew an alco pop and the answer is not a fucking chance mate not on auntie lauren's watch but here's the thing what i would do is the same as i had is let me let me have an awareness about it have all the facts and make all your decisions you know when me, me and you've had this conversation before, when we were growing up, we were really educated on drugs. You know, we were taught, you know, this is what cannabis does, this is what tobacco does, this is what ecstasy does, this is what LSD does, this is what cocaine does, this is what heroin does. At no point were we explained what alcohol does. Yeah. And I look at that now, and I think that's bonkers. And you know, I'm not someone who's ever, you know, I was, I was a, a happy little piss head but I wasn't someone who went down the drugs route at any point. But I say this, and I've said it in front of my mum, and her eyes roll, and she's like, Jesus Christ, Lauren. I say, I would be more inclined now to take a drug before I'd take alcohol. Wow, and, that's a huge... And when I say that to people, they're like, really? I go, now listen, just so you know, I've got no inclination or desire to at the moment, but that's how much I now understand about the difference between them. They're all the same. It just depends how we marketed them. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge statement to end on. Thank you so
2: much for that, Lauren. Very, very insightful. Yeah.
0: Um, i hope our editor doesn't use that as the highlight because that would be rather misleading (laughs) (laughs) Um, and just before we cut off helen you are tomorrow 28 days on your no drinking challenge well done uh today actually today today's my 28th day um
2: this is to be continued. We will we will continue over success habits and, and reasons by. Um, and this, by the way, which I have been asked from many people, like you have said about um, judgment, opinions, and other people jumping in. A lot of people have assumed that Lauren's been working her magic on me uh, to, make, <laughs> yeah. uh, to make me be uh, a mirror of her success habits. That is not true, um, but we will go into it on another episode on my experience so far. Um and by the way, this is coming from somebody who loves the red wine, who is that person on a hot day where i would like, oh, let's have a Corona with a lime, love a gin and tonic. I actually do like alcohol and the taste of it and, and everything that goes with it. A little bit like Lauren has said in terms of, you know what, what, you know, what you liked and what you enjoyed and what the associations were. But yeah, we'll go into that on another episode. But it's, uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a decision that's been, um, that's been very, very conscious and I've had my many learnings of it along the way. So we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that next time. You can ask me a couple of questions on that.
0: So look forward to it.
2: Guys, thank you so much for listening I hope you found this valuable, insightful and um, just another example of how you can start looking at reviewing your habits and your behaviours and literally how this has been a key fundamental success habit for Lauren uh, in terms of, you know, cultivating her mindset, her uh, clarity, her decision making all of the things that actually as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, and as somebody in control of their life need to have at, um, the, the best capability. And we talk about performance. We talk about optimizing who you are and what you can bring to the table. And this is Lauren's way of doing it. So over a thousand, over a thousand days of being alcohol free. That is some, that is some going. So guys, if you've got any questions for Lauren, please do uh, send them into us. Uh, if you'd like to review the uh, episode, then please do. Um, and as always, you know, take a picture of the um, of the episode, send it to your stories, tag any of your friends in. One year no beer. Check out um, check out their platform as well, and and have a dig around. I'll also get Lauren to upload the blogs onto our website as well, so that you can check those out.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: And and, and look at those in in written long format. So it's been a pleasure having you here um do join us where you know i will be sharing my experience over the last 28 days as well and um and and let you let you in on you know whether i'm going to be continuing it or whether i've got the champagne on ice ready (laughs) i will let you know but guys thank you as always it's been a a massive pleasure and thank you for your story and sharing that with us as well no worries talk to you
0: soon
1: Thank you for listening to the HEW podcast. For continued support, please subscribe using iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play or SoundCloud. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please leave a five-star review on your download platform. Tune in for more value and more content the same time next week.